Good morning. Our passage this morning is from Joshua, chapter 1, verses 10 through 18. And Joshua commanded the officers of the people, Pass through the midst of the camp and command the people, Prepare your provisions, for within three days you are to pass over this Jordan to go in to take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving you to possess. And to the Reubenites, the Gadites, the half-tribe of Manasseh, Joshua said, Remember the word that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, saying, The Lord your God is providing you a place of rest and will give you this land. Your wives, your little ones, and your livestock shall remain in the land that Moses gave you beyond the Jordan. But all the men of valor among you shall pass over armed before your brothers and shall help them until the Lord gives rest to your brothers as he has to you. And they also take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving them. Then you shall return to the land of your possession and shall possess it, the land that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you beyond the Jordan toward the sunrise. And they answered Joshua, All that you have commanded we will do. And whatever you send us, wherever you send us, we will go. Just as we obeyed Moses in all things, so will we obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you, as he was with Moses. Whoever rebels against your commandment and disobeys your words, whatever you command him, shall be put to death. Only be strong and courageous. This is God's word for us today. You may be seated. Well, we have two more messages in the Living Stones series as we've been going through to see how God is, is building in this spiritual household. We learned about that in First Peter, the last series we did, and we're taking a look at how he began doing that in the Old Testament. Now we are on Joshua. Last week, Pastor Dave talked about the handing off of the baton, Moses building into Joshua, and now Joshua taking that mantle of leadership. And on this Memorial Day, which is the official start of summer, the official start of summer. We have a long weekend. This is when vacation starts, barbecues start. It's the great quest for rest. Now, how many of you, when you go on vacation, when you get back from vacation, you generally need a rest and a vacation from your vacation so you can actually get rest before you go back to work where you need more rest? Did you notice this cycle? Why are vacations not restful? Why, why, we're going to look at the subject this morning of, of rest, of rest, and I would like you to fill in the blank here. I'd be able to finally rest if. I would be able to finally rest if. Or, maybe it's not an if, maybe it's a when. I saw this poor dad come in this morning. I was standing out uh, at the info booth, and I saw this poor dad. He's got a baby in a... In a, in a carrier and he's got a toddler and the toddler gets away from him and just drops to the floor and just starts screaming, which causes a chain reaction. And so now the baby in the carriage is just screaming. And I'm thinking to myself, this guy is thinking, I'll finally have rest when my children go to college. (laughs) Right? Amen. Right? But we do that. We think it's like, okay, this season of life, I can't rest. I got to push through to the next season of life and then I can rest. Or I got to, until I get this, I can't rest. But once I get this, then I'll be able to rest. 
this is a busy season. You know, I got, I got to push through this season at work and then I can rest. Anybody relate to those types of things? We're, we're going to take a look at the difficult subject of rest and how God offers a, a better rest. There's four points in this message as we're going to look at Joshua chapter 1, verses 10 through 18. First of all, the problem of restlessness. The problem of restlessness. God is bringing Israel into the promised land, and he says, I'm going to give you land, and I'm going to give you rest. Well, that implies that they don't have rest at the moment. They're restless. Why were they, why are we constantly in a state of restlessness? Then the promise, we're going to take a, God, take a look at God's promise to Joshua and the people of Israel, and by way of application, his promise to us. We're going to take a look at that promise. And then we're going to see how even when, when Israel entered that promised land and they, quote-unquote, were given rest, it was partial at best. It didn't last very long. So then we're going to see what Christ has to offer us in a better rest and how that's actually connected to the text in, in, uh, in Joshua chapter 1 that we're going to be looking at this morning. So please open your Bibles to the first chapter of Joshua. Let's pray and get into his word. Father, we come to you. We are weary people constantly seeking and striving to rest, but never being able to really relax and find that deep soul rest that you promise. Lord, would you show us through your word, through Christ, through the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus, how we can enter into that rest. Father, as we look at Joshua chapter 1 and we see this promise that you gave to your people and how that was partially fulfilled, but it, it just never amounted to, to what what you truly give us in Christ. Would you show us, Lord, how to enter that rest? Would you help me to preach and teach in such a way that Jesus is exalted? And would you speak to hearts this morning through your word? Spirit, we depend upon you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Okay, let's, let's get the context first of all. The context. God says to Joshua, Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed for the Lord your God is with you you wherever you go. So last week, Dave camped in, in Deuteronomy chapter 34. And what we learned in Deuteronomy chapter 34 was that they're, they're on, on the cusp of entering the promised land. Moses has died. Joshua is the new leader. Uh, he was raised up and, and called and commissioned by God to take Moses' place. And now they're ready to go. They're ready to go. They're ready to enter end to the promised land. So God tells him, you need to be strong. You need to be courageous. You need to be strong. You need to be courageous. You need to meditate on this book of the law and you shall not let it depart from your mouth. You need to meditate on my promises and my commands to you so that you'll be successful in whatever you do, but be strong. And he keeps repeating this over and over. Be strong and be courageous. Why? Because he's going to take a whole nation of non-warriors Slaves, former slaves, into a very dangerous nation with some very, very bad people. And he's commissioned them to execute judgment on these people and to drive them out. So strength and courage are going to be needed. Strength and courage are going to be needed. So then... In verse 10, and Joshua commanded the offers of the people. He said, pass through the midst of the camp and command the people, prepare your provisions. 
For within three days you're to pass over the Jordan and go and take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving you to possess. Now, if you recall, 40 years earlier, 40 years earlier, Joshua, Caleb, and the other 10 spies, 12 in total, they went in and they scouted out the land and they came back and they said to Moses and the rest of the people, it is a land flowing with milk and honey. This place is awesome. And Joshua and Caleb are like, and yes, let's go in. The Lord has given it to us. And the other 10 are like, no, 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 no. There are giants in the land. There's no way we can do this. And so the rest of the people sided with the other tent spies. And God basically said, fine, you don't want to go in? You can wander for the next 40 years. Well, 40 years are up. Three days, we're going in. All of those previous people that said we don't want to go, they're dead, with the exception of Joshua and Caleb. Everybody else, they were born in the wilderness, and now they're ready to go in. So they are ready, and now they're, provi- they're, pro- they're getting their provisions ready. Within three days, we're going to pass over the Jordan and take possession. Okay, now what's the goal? What's the goal? Yes, the goal is a homeland. Yes, the goal is land, but there's something else here. And to the Reubenites and the Gadites and the half-tribe of Manasseh, Joshua said, Remember the word that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, saying, The Lord your God is providing you a place of rest, a place of rest, and will give you this land. Okay, that's the setup. That's the context. Israel is going to go in and take possession of the land, and that land is going to be for them, quote unquote, a place of rest. Why do they need rest? Because they are restless. Two things. Two things. The problem of restlessness, the first point. If you want to turn in your Bibles, turn your Bibles back to Genesis, back to Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2. We see in verses 8 and 9, And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden, in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So in the beginning, God's designed, he created man out of the ground, out of the dust. He breathed his life into man, created man, male and female in his image. He created them. They're created. They became one flesh, man and wife, and he placed them in a garden. He gave them a place, but he also gave them his presence. God dwelt with them amongst them in the midst of the garden. But he also gave them something else. He gave them rest. He gave them rest. It says that after the sixth day, God rested from all his work and entered into a state of rest. Now, that does not mean that God is inactive. God entered into his rest, into this rest after he created the six days. And, and, and nor, does it mean, nor does it mean that Adam and Eve in the garden, in this state of rest, are inactive. They're tending the garden. But their souls are refreshed. They're not exhausted. They're not stressed. There's no stress there. There's no anxiety there. There's a state of peace. They have a place. They have the presence of God. And they have unity with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and they have unity with one another. It's a state of rest. 
It's, the Bible has a term for this in the Old Testament. It's called shalom. It's peace. It's well-being. They have it. They have it. There's no need. There's no point where Adam ever says, I'm totally exhausted. I'm totally exhausted. I need a rest. He worked, but he was not inactive, but there's this constant state of peace, shalom, because he's in the presence of his God and he's in paradise. So that lasted for a hot 10 minutes. Actually, I have no idea how long that that state lasted. It could have been weeks. It could have been years. I have no idea. But it didn't last because they were set in the midst of the garden and there was a tree of the knowledge of good and evil and the tree of life. And they were commanded just one prohibition. Do not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil for on the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. Of course, the serpent tempts them. They take the fruit. They eat of the fruit. They declare themselves autonomous from God. They declare themselves independent from God. And the restlessness began at that moment. Now, there's a bunch of things that happened. First of all, they were banished from the place. It says they were cast out in Genesis 3, east of Eden. And and an angel, a cherubim, was placed in front of the garden with a flaming sword to prevent them from getting back in. So they lost their place. They lost their place. They also forfeited the presence, the daily continual presence of the Lord. God was still there, but he did not walk in their midst. They began to hide from God. They began to distance themselves from God. Their sin became a separation from God. So man created in God's image was created for rest in God, but they distanced themselves from God and they declared themselves independent from God. And now all of a sudden there's all this restlessness. And not only are there enmity or or, uh, enemies of God, they became enemies of one another. In the garden, the blame shifting began. Well, it's her fault. Well, it's the serpent's fault. The battle of the sexes, man and wife, marriage became difficult. And then the first murder we have in in Genesis chapter 4. There's a constant state of restlessness. Restlessness. Yet, yet, Adam, Eve, Cain, Abel, Noah, every Old Testament patriarch, those who followed God and those who didn't, instinctively long for a place, a home, and instinctively long for rest. You cannot help but long for that which you were created, a home and rest. And it never comes. It never comes. Still long for rest. And here's how we figure. Here's how, and this is not new. This isn't a 21st century thing. This is a humanity thing since Genesis chapter 3. We figure in our minds that there are certain things we have to have before we can rest. A home. You can't rest if you don't have a place to rest, right? So we've got to have that. You've got to have provision. I've got to have food. I've got to have water. I, gotta have, I have to have that. I have to have a job. I have to have a well-paying job. I have, to have, I have to have a cushion. I have to have a little bit more income than perhaps I spend every week. I have to have vacations from time to time. I have to have toys. I, have to, I look around and say, well, they, they look restful. Madison Avenue, expert at telling us what we need to rest. And so we see the ads and we think, oh, that, if I had that, then I could rest. Or relationships. If I could just have a spouse, then I could rest. And then you get the spouse and you think, if I could just have a different spouse, 
then I could rest. Or if my spouse would just let me alone so I could rest. You think, oh, if I had children, if I had the perfect family, then I could rest. And then once you have the children, you think, Lord God, when those children graduate, then I can rest. And then you think to yourself, if I could just get to the edge of retirement where I have enough money so that I could retire, then I can rest. And then your grandparents, and you think, when the grandchildren leave, then I can rest. There's always this state of, I don't have it now, but I'm going to get it someday. And everybody's striving for rest. And here's part of the problem. You think, we think, that inactivity equals rest. Right? So, ah, it's been an exhausting week. It's been an exhausting day. I just need to rest. Three hours later, the drool is dripping off your chin. You've seen a thousand Facebook posts and a 20 political ads and this argument and that argument and so forth. And you're like, my soul is refreshed. <laughs> Said no one ever. Said no one ever. Or here's one. You get home, you get into a recliner and you go, Kajunk. and you binge watch a whole season of Uhtred in the last kingdom all night long on Netflix and your soul is refreshed, said no one ever. But that's how we think. We think by stopping and doing nothing except filling our minds with mush, that equals rest. It doesn't. And you know it. Do you ever feel refreshed after wasting three hours on your phone looking at stuff? Does anybody ever feel rested after binge-watching anything? No. Um, by the way, it's not wrong to check your phone, nor is it wrong to watch a TV show. But those are not substitutes for rest. They don't give our souls rest. Why? Because our hearts are restless. They can't fill that empty void. No amount of money will cause you to be able to rest. Why? Why? Not that I have a lot of money, but I've been told that those who do have money, once you have it, you're anxious about losing it. So it's not only I'll rest when I get it, then you'll rest when you think it's secure enough and you can't lose it. It's, it's just this cycle of unrest. It's this cycle of unrest. And I, I know we're all Christians, right? Or at least most of us. Oh, but we, at least we have a Sabbath. Right. How many of you even know what a Sabbath is? So there's something in the Old Testament that, that God commanded people to do. It sounds very exhausting. I want nothing to do with it. Do you know why God committed a, or constituted a Sabbath? Sabbath was not... Man was not created for the Sabbath, but Sabbath was created for man so that we would rest. But we're too busy to actually rest. There's a new thing now. Since COVID, well, actually, it's not a new thing, but it's a more prominent thing. It's the, the I come to church once a month Christian. Since COVID, it's a, it's, a, it's a newer thing. Christians are now coming to church monthly. And here's the crazy thing. Why are they only coming to church once a month? They found that they're so busy, it's the only time they can get rest with their families. So cut out the corporate meeting with the body of Christ so that you can rest. Begs the question, what are you doing those other three Sundays? What are you doing on Saturday? 
you see the point? Everyone's lives are so filled with activities, club sports, this, that, and the other thing, our hobbies. We're so filled with activity that we have no time to rest. And then the one day of the week we're supposed to come together and have our souls fed, we're too tired. Some of you are thinking, I'm exhausted being here right now. It was absolutely exhausting trying to get my teenager out of bed to come to the 8.30 service. So you know the drill, right? And sadly, some people equate coming to church or being a part of the body of Christ as exhausting in and of itself. So the problem of restlessness, it's a real deal. So God gives a promise. The intent is God wants to give us rest. He doesn't want to wear us out. He wants to give us rest. So take a look at Exodus chapter 33. This is at the beginning of the 40 years after they had refused to go in. Now, therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, this is Moses, please show me now your ways that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. And he said, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Okay, I want you to notice. In God's estimation, for Moses and God's people to have rest, what must they embrace? His presence. That's where rest comes from. He says, I'm going to go with you. My presence will be with you. And you will receive rest. You were, so this is on the front end. This is before the 40 years of wandering. So at the back end, at the back end, and this is the text we were looking at this morning, three more days and we're going in. Remember the word that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you saying, the Lord your God is providing you a place of rest and will give you this land. Okay, so that's the promise. God intends... Notice that there's a, there's a connection with rest in the land. It's, it's kind of, of a, it's kind of a, in a way, the, the idea is God wants us to understand that in a sense, there's, there's a longing for Eden. You don't have a place and you don't have my presence, but I'm going to give you a pray, place and I'm going to give you my presence and you're going to have rest. This isn't Eden, but it's a move towards Eden. It's a, it's a move to reclaim back what we lost because of the fall. And God's saying, this is what I want for you. This is what you should want for yourself. This is good. Who doesn't want a place and who doesn't want rest? So take it, take it, rest, take it. So that's the promise. And then verse 16 and 17, and they answer Joshua. There's a, here's a prerequisite. There's a prerequisite for rest. You ready? It's one word, obedience, obedience, actually two words, faith, which leads to obedience. You can't, you'll, they'll obey if they have faith. If they trust God, they'll do what God says. And then they'll have rest in that order. And they say to Joshua, all that you've commanded us, we will do. And wherever you send us, we will go. Just as we obeyed Moses in all things, so we will obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. So the promise of rest comes with a caveat. You can't receive it unless you trust the one giving it and act as if you trust it. Act as if you trust it. So that's the promise. So what happens? They enter the land. So we jump forward to the end of the book of Joshua 
And a long time afterward, when the Lord God had given rest to Israel from all their surrounding enemies, Joshua was old and well advanced in years. So between chapter 1 and chapter 23, Joshua takes all of Israel across the Jordan. They conquer Jericho. They conquer this city. They conquer that city. They drive the nations out, sort of. We'll get to that in our next series in Judges. And they begin, and what does it say? The Lord God gave rest to Israel from their surrounding enemies. And Joshua's old and well advanced in years. And look at how it says Joshua chapter 23, verse 1a. There's another portion to verse 1b. And how many of you think that after the comma, it says, and they lived happily ever after? Do we have anyone that thinks that that's what that verse says? You would be wrong. You would be wrong. The rest was partial. Why? What did he give them rest from? What's the text say? They had rest from their enemies. Guess what they didn't have rest from? Their own restless hearts. Their own restless hearts. The hearts that caused Adam and Eve to sin and then... Cain to crush Abel, and then all of the sin that's happened before then, which causes all this restlessness, they still brought those hearts right across the Jordan. Their hearts have not been changed. Their enemies have been subdued, and there is a sense in which there's momentary peace. They're not at war temporarily, but their hearts are still unchanged. So the rest is partial. The rest is partial. And that's why... Whenever you get something new or you enter the new phase of life, you kind of go, oh, this is nice. For a while, it is. After you get married, the honeymoon is over and you say, well, now there's strife. Each new phase, each new thing that you think, once I get this, once I enter this phase, then I'll be able to rest. You are able to sort of rest. You have peace temporarily, but it it never lasts. You think, if I could just get this degree, if I could just get into grad school, if I could just do this, if I could just do that, if I could just get this job, if I could just get this placement, if we could just fix our marriage, if our kids would just obey, if blah, 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 blah. It just never ends. And then you go on to the next thing, and there's something else to fret and worry about, something else to stress you out. Yes, God gave them rest from their enemies, but the rest was partial at best. Partial at rest. Partial at rest. Partial at best. So... What do we do now? Do we just keep, keep playing the cycle out where you, you just run on the treadmill of I'll just run a little further and then I'll rest? Or I'll chase after this dream and then once I get a hold of it, then I'll rest? You can do that, but you'll never rest. There's a better rest. So this passage, this passage is referred to in the book of Hebrews. In the book of Hebrews, we learn that, that Jesus is a better Moses, it says in chapters 1 and 2. That Jesus is a better high priest. And in chapter 4, we learn that Jesus is a better Joshua. Joshua, Moses, the high priest, everything that we've looked at, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, they're all pointing towards the living stone. They're all pointing towards Jesus, the foundation stone. And the capstone, the alpha and the omega, everything points towards Jesus. And the author of Hebrews 
discussing this better rest, says, therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, it still stands. It's for to you here today, just as it was for Joshua. It still stands. Let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. Reach what? The rest. The rest. For good news came to us, just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. Now, who is the author of Hebrews speaking of? He's speaking of those who at the front end of the 40 years, they were promised, they were promised, go into the land flowing with milk and honey. It's good. It's bountiful. I'll give you rest. And they said, we don't believe that we can actually conquer these people. We are not going to do it. So the, the, the promise was not linked with faith. It was not linked with faith. And so they didn't enter the promised land. They died in the wilderness. They died in the wilderness. Now, what, what, what the author of Hebrews is saying is, listen, the same promise that was given to them is given to each one of you, but it's actually attainable. You, it's not just partial. If you trust, if you, if, you, if you trust and you act in faith and you act on that faith, that obedience that, that comes from faith, you will enter that rest you will enter that rest. Can we jump ahead here to verse 8? For if Joshua had given them rest, now he's speaking of those who actually did enter the promised land. If he actually succeeded in giving them rest, God would have not have spoken of another day later on. So evidently this rest that they received was only partial at best. It was pointing to something that would, that would never be taken from them that would never be taken from us. It's partial at best. He would never have spoken of another day later on. So verse 9, So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered into God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his I didn't put it in the notes, but it just came to me. I probably should have put a PowerPoint. I want to give you a reference, uh, a resource, that it's a very, very helpful book. I was talking with one of our missionaries about three or four months before I went on sabbatical. The summer I went on sabbatical, and I was talking with Alex Ludvicek. He'll be back. He's a pilot with MAF. He'll be back this, uh, this summer. And we were talking about this subject of Sabbath. He said, I just re- read this book. It's co- by John Mark Comer. It's called The Ruthless elimination of hurry. The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry by John Mark Comer. The subject is on Sabbath rest. Now, when you look at the Old Testament Sabbath laws and you look at the idea of maybe how our forefathers kept the Sabbath, how many of you think that Sabbath keeping sounds exhausting? Any of you? Yes, some of you probably. And, and that seems like something to avoid. And your way is better how? Has our culture demonstrated that we know anything about the subject of rest? No, we're the most strung out, stressed out, anxiety-ridden culture, simultaneously being the most prosperous culture with the most leisure time on our hands. How does this work? How does this work? We don't buy that at all. We don't. And I say we. I'm saying the Christian culture in general. Some of you are like, well, that's not true. 
I'm seeking a Sabbath rest. I'm just saying, generally, in general, Christians don't buy that. So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered into God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Okay, verse 10, the key. We're going to get into how. Now we're going to look at how do you receive the better, the better rest. First of all, verse 10, whoever has entered God's rest has also done what? Rested from his own works. Point number one, stop trying Stop trying, stop striving to create your life in such a way that all the planets will align so then you can rest. Stop being your own savior. Stop being your own savior. Being your own savior. You can be your own savior in a lot of different ways, but this is becoming the kind of person who you think God will accept because of what you do, and because God will accept you, then he will give you all the things you long for. That's works righteousness. It's legalism. It's not restful. When you re- we're going to do Mark in the, in the fall, and you're going to see the Pharisees try to, quote-unquote, obey the Sabbath, and you're going to say, now there's a very unrestful-looking people that I want nothing to do with. And you would be right. You would be right. So, so God rests. He also rests from the works as God did from his. So the first thing is we need to do is rest from our own works. But here's the irony. Let us therefore, this is so ironic, strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is a living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing in division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and in discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Okay. Does anybody find verse 11 ironic? What are we, what's the theme this morning? Rest. Rest. What does the author of Hebrews say you have to do to gain it? Strive. Striving implies doing something strenuous. Rest does not equal inactivity. There is striving to do. Striving to do what? Striving to do. What is the striving? We're supposed to rest from our works. Now he tells us to, thr- to strive. I, I, I don't, no, it's not strive to do more work. It's not strive to justify yourself. It's not strive to get the latest toy or the latest, the, 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 the next paycheck or the next job. It's not strive to get those things. It's strive to what? Strive to enter, strive to enter that rest. Think, think of it this way. Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 and 29. Jesus says, Come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Ah, but the verse doesn't end. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and I will give you rest. Now, those of you who understand agriculture and you know what a yoke is, that's what you put on the horses. That's what you put on the oxen that pull the carriage and pull the plow. Those animals are called beasts of burden because they are doing work. They are striving. And you think, what? Okay. Jesus says, I know you're weary. So take this 400-pound yoke set it on your shoulders and pull the gospel plow. You're thinking, I don't see how that equals rest. Remember 
what God promised Moses in Exodus 33? My presence will go with you and I will give you rest. The reason why being yoked to Jesus and learning from him, the reason why it doesn't exhaust you is because he's the one that does the work. We are just walking alongside of him. So what does the striving mean? I'm telling you, I am telling you, I am imploring you, you have to strive to shut this thing off. You have to strive and wrestle with your calendar to make sure you have margin in your life that you can actually read the Bible and pray. You don't think that's a striving wrestling match? You're out of your mind. You know it is. That's what the striving is. You've got to strive to meet together, the author of Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23 through 25, and not neglect meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but meet together continuously and encourage one another all the more so as you see the day approaching. You've got to strive to make room in your life to say no to this and say no to that so you can make margin in your life so you can draw near to God and experience the presence which he offers you not by your works but by faith. You've got to work your butt off to rest in Christ. How's that for irony? It's work. Do you know what isn't work? Passivity. Just going with the flow. Just jump in the river of our culture and just shut off and do whatever the culture and the winds lead you to do. And how many of you are rested by doing that? Do you feel rested when you just go with the flow? No. That's what happened in Eden. Just go with the flow. The, the, the fruit is pleasing to the eyes. It looks good to the taste. And it will make one wise. Just go with the flow. And in doing so, you don't experience the presence of God, the peace of God, and you don't have peace with one another. And you wonder why you can't rest. You've got to strive. You've got to take the yoke on. Now, I, I know the irony. It shouldn't be lost on you. The irony is, is that that sounds like there's effort involved. Yes, there's effort involved. If you're looking for something in life that doesn't require effort, death. That's it. Famous basketball coach Digger Feld says, you know, if you're going to be a bum, at least be the best bum on the park bench. Out bum the other bums. You've got you to do something. I don't admire, I don't, I'm not advocating becoming a bum, but the po- you get the point. Everything you do, everything we do requires effort. It requires striving. The difference is, what's the goal? If the goal, if the goal is to experience the presence and the power of God, to adjust my day, to adjust my day in such a way that I experience his presence continually, your life will become transformed. Pastor and author John Ortberg, years and years ago, was commanded by his elders to take a sabbatical. That's not what happened in, in my case. They, were not, they, they let me go on sabbatical. But his, his pastor says, you are going to take a sabbatical. He didn't think he needed one. And he was frustrated. And he, was, he was just, my congregation 
my elders, my deacons, they're, you know, just, just frustrated with how things were going with his church. And he goes on sabbatical and he, he had, he'd befriended a guy, uh, a theologian and, and professor, philosophy professor at USC, Dallas Willard. And he went to visit Dallas Willard and, and he was just quizzing him and he's asking all sorts of questions. You see, yeah, my pastors, they made me take a sabbatical, blah, blah, blah. He goes, Dallas, Dallas, what, what does my church need? What does my church need? He says, what your church needs most from you is that you order your days in such a way that you continually experience the presence and power of God. He says, yeah, yeah, I have a quiet time. I want to know what my church needs. What what does the church need? And Dallas very calmly says, John, what your church needs is for you to order your days and arrange your days in such a way that you continually experience the presence and power of God. And Dallas said, you need to ruthlessly eliminate hurry in your life. That's where John Mark Comer stole stole the, uh, the, the phrase for that book title. You need to ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. And you need to ruthlessly pursue, relentlessly strive for a life that experiences the presence and the power of God. Notice the connection here in verse 12. For the word of God is living, active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing into division, soul and spirit, the joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of hearts, heart, the heart. How do you think that you and I experience his presence? By being saturated in the word of God. Joshua chapter eight and not, chapter one, verse eight and nine. Do not let this word of the Lord depart from your mouth, but meditate it on it continually doing what it says so that you may be successful. What is Joshua saying? Joshua is saying, listen, you cannot experience the power and the presence of God apart from the word of God. And when you experience the word of God, it will penetrate your soul. It will cut you deep and it will cut out cancer and it will heal. It will convict, it will comfort, it will bring you rest. Why? Because Jesus Christ is the word of God made flesh And he came to dwell among us and he has given his word and his spirit speaks to us through his word and we experience his presence and we experience his power. And we need each other. We need each other. You cannot do this alone. Yes, you can read your Bible alone. Yes, you can listen to a podcast alone. You can do a lot of things alone. You can pray alone, but you can't be encouraged by other believers alone. And you cannot encourage other believers alone. Here's the deal. Give me 10 minutes and I will have forgotten everything that I just said to you about how I need to strive to enter his rest. Give me a half an hour and I will forget to order the next half an hour in such a way that I'm experiencing his power and his presence. And that's why we need the body of Christ. And that's why we desperately need one another. So, First of all, believe, be baptized. Enter into a personal relationship with Christ. Some of you are not. Some of you are younger. Some of you are older. And you're just starting to understand maybe the gospel a little bit. But you haven't taken that step where by faith, grace through faith, you've received Christ as your Lord and Savior. Begin there. You say, well, what does that even mean? Cry out to him. Say, Lord Jesus, I need you. Save me from my sins. Give me the Holy Spirit. Forgive me. Wash me, cleanse me, make me a new man, a new woman. 
and then pronounce that faith through baptism. Next, learn from Jesus. Take his yoke, draw near to him. Get in community. Learn the spiritual disciplines. Learn to abide. Don't be anonymous any longer. You know the danger about a larger church that's bigger than a couple hundred of people is that you can slip in and out and be completely anonymous. And that is completely your choice. I'm not going to tackle you in the parking lot and make you get involved because that would not be restful for you or for me. But you need to stop being anonymous. So tell us you're here. Let us know how we can pray for you. Find out how you can get involved, what community looks like at a, at a more intimate level than on a Sunday morning. Serve in a backyard Bible club or on a Sunday morning. Get to know other people. You say, well, Brooks, serving sounds like effort. It is, but it's not exhausting. It can be exhausting. That would be a lie to say that it's never exhausting. It can be. But then Jesus often withdrew with his disciples to a lonely place to rest. So even Jesus withdrew from serving. You don't serve all the time. You do need isolation from time to time. And then if you've been around for a long time and you're not new and you are plugged in, sort of, join the mission. Become, make a commitment to be a part of a people that want to enter into God's rest and make a commitment to be a part of a people that want to extend that call to rest to the community that's restless and to the world that's restless. Come to the membership class, June 11th. So well, I don't know if I want to be a member. You're not a member by coming to a class, but you, you, you start to see, oh, this is what they think rest in Christ looks like in community. Had someone ask, I noticed you guys have talked about membership a lot more recently. Why is that? Well, in the older generation, and I guess you could say that's my generation, but I wasn't raised in a church. But those of you that were raised in a church, you kind, of, you kind of intuitively know what it means to be a part of a body of Christ. That's not true for most people in our culture. Do you know what most people think church is? Most people think being involved in the body of Christ is coming 1.5 times a month to a Sunday service if they have time, and that's, that's not what it is. So membership class offers an opportunity for people to understand what it means to be a part of a body of Christ who is striving to experience rest together and wants to offer the rest of Christ to the rest of the world. So I encourage you to consider that. This morning we are going to close uh, in song. So I'd like to have Zach come back up. And after the song, if you have burdens, prayer requests, you'd like to be prayed for or over, uh, please, again, come forward at the end of the song. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the rest that you give us in Christ. Thank you, Lord, that we are able to cease from our striving because you strove, you fulfilled the perfect law in your life. And all of our shortcomings, all of our sin was taken to the cross and separated from us as far as the east is from the west. Jesus, thank you for giving your life. Thank you for giving us new life in Christ. 
Lord, each person here is struggling with this concept in, in a different way. And each person here has, has unrest or lack of peace. Holy Spirit, you search the deep things of the heart. I pray that you would search each heart here and you would reveal to each person what it is that hinders them from rest. And I pray that they would bring that to you and they would submit that to you and you would use your word, that double-edged sword, to search their hearts, to reveal their hearts so that they might make, may confess those things to you and be drawn near and experience the rest that you have for us. Lord, we pray this, that we might be refreshed, that we might be rested, and that you might be glorified in all that we do and say. In Jesus' name we pray.